and welcome to X-Men Unraveled. This is a podcast where I go through the stories of the X-Men in chronological order. Today, we have arrived at the early life of a very famous mutant, Magneto. I may have slightly misspoken in the last episode because I said that I was excited to get to Magneto's story, and I am. He's one of my favorite mutants in the comics and in the movies. However, the series I'm covering today, Magneto Testaments, tells the story of his early life surviving the Holocaust. So while I am excited to get to Magneto, I kind of forgot when I said that that we have to get through his tragic beginnings as a young man first. I do want to warn you ahead of time that this comic obviously gets into the very dark details of the Holocaust, and Magneto is present for many major moments in the 1930s and 1940s. He experiences the buildup of anti-Jewish sentiment in Germany in the 1930s, the tragedies of the Warsaw Ghetto, and eventually he is sent to the nightmare that was Auschwitz. So, just a heads up of what the content of this episode is going to look like. I originally planned for this to be a one-episode story, but there's just so much to cover that I am going to split it into two parts so that I don't skip anything important. It may turn into a third episode, but I'm doing my best to keep it to two. There's an important note from the writers at the end of issue one of Magneto Testament. In their words, in an age in which Holocaust deniers still spread their lies, we've done our best to ensure that the real world history we explore in this series is entirely accurate and that we deal with this unfathomably harrowing material in a way that is honest, unflinching, human, and humane. I personally feel that the writers do a great job of not just telling a tragic story, but making the reader aware of the historical events. Not to mention the illustrators, who definitely didn't shy away from showing the reader the events of the Holocaust. I mentioned in a past episode that I have a history background, and I definitely relied on that as I wrote up my outline for this series. I want to cover Magneto's origin, but also follow the lead of the writers and illustrators in making sure I also present the historical context and details that surround Magneto's early life. So I'll fill in details and provide some context um, from history when I can, and this time I'm not apologizing for the heavy-handedness of the history, um, because I'm of the opinion that this subject is immensely important to history, to our understanding of humanity to honor the victims, and to inform our own actions in society. I'm not an expert, I'm not pretending to be, but it is a subject I've done my own research about, so I will do my best to cover the information as completely and conscientiously as my knowledge and the limits of a comic podcast allow. Most of my additional information comes from the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum, They have an excellent website that covers these topics if you want to do your own reading about anything I mention. That's a really good place to start. There are other mutant stories that take place during this time period, but I'm covering those in separate episodes. Magneto's story and the history surrounding it need to be covered on their own. With all of that exposition, I want to start with a quick rundown of Magneto the character before getting into the series itself. Magneto is basically the OG X-Men villain. He's introduced on the cover of X-Men number one from 1963 with the tagline, X-Men vs. Magneto, Earth's most powerful villain. 
with two exclamation points just to really drive it home. Magneto was created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. He has the power to control magnetic fields, which makes him extremely powerful and his powers very versatile. He is one of the Omega-level mutants, so one of the most powerful mutants that there are, and he spends much of his life in direct conflict with the X-Men for his worldview. Charles Xavier, the leader of the X-Men, believes that mutants and humans should peacefully coexist. Magneto, on the other hand, believes that humans' fear and hatred of mutants means that it is impossible for the two groups to live side by side. He thinks that mutants should take power and control the world. There's an interview with Stan Lee where he says he doesn't see Magneto as a villain. He said, quote, He just wanted to strike back at the people who were so bigoted and racist. He was trying to defend the mutants, and because society was not treating them fairly, he was going to teach society a lesson. He was a danger, of course, but I never thought of him as a villain. One comparison that often gets made is between Magneto and Malcolm X, and Charles Xavier and Martin Luther King Jr. The two civil rights leaders were and are often seen as two sides of the same coin. Malcolm X was viewed as a political extremist in the effort to improve the lives of black Americans, while Martin Luther King is seen as more diplomatic and remembered for phrases like, I have a dream. Whereas Malcolm X said he would work to bring about equality for black Americans, quote, by any means necessary. When asked about the comparison between the two mutants and the civil rights leaders, X-Men writer Chris Claremont said that originally that wasn't the intent, but as the years passed it became more relevant. He said in an interview, It was too close in the 1970s. It had only been a few years since the assassinations. In a way, it seemed like that would be too raw. My resonance to Magneto and Xavier was born more out of the Holocaust. It was coming face-to-face -face with evil, and how do you respond to it? In Magneto's case, it was violence begets violence. In Xavier's, it was the constant attempt to find a better way. As we got distance from the 60s, the Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Mandela resonance came into things. It just fit. Claremont also said that he saw Magneto more in line with Menahem Begin, an Israeli politician. In his early life, Begin was known as a Zionist militant and even referred to as a terrorist, but later his work as a politician earned him a Nobel Peace Prize. However, like Claremont said, the comparisons between the two mutants and the black civil rights leaders just fits. Claremont is actually the one who introduced Magneto's background in the Holocaust. It is revealed in Uncanny X-Men number 50 from 1981, when Magneto almost kills a young member of the X-Men team. He immediately regrets his actions, saying, I remember my own childhood, the gas chambers at Auschwitz. And he laments how his goal of creating a peaceful world for mutants has led him to nearly murder a young mutant on his mission. He is distraught at becoming the same type of monster that he's trying to fight against. Claremont introduced the aspect of Magneto's background as he was trying to create a character of more depth rather than just showing a villain who acts for the sake of villainy. Magneto, having seen the absolute worst of humanity, feels that humans' hatred of mutants can only lead to the type of atrocity he experienced firsthand in his youth. This backstory is also central to the movie version of Magneto as well. He's introduced in the very first X-Men movie from 2000, and we are shown a young Magneto uses powers for the first time as he is separated from his family by the Nazis. 
And in X-Men First Class, the story continues as he carries out his vengeance against Nazis who escaped punishment after the war. In the comics, Magneto's full experience during the Holocaust was revealed in the series Magneto Testament, released in 2008. Interestingly, we don't actually see Magneto's powers in this series. His abilities don't manifest until adulthood, which is strange for a mutant and especially for one who is so powerful. So that really poignant scene from the movies of his powers emerging during his separation from his family doesn't take place in the comics. Another note is that Magneto's birth name is Max Eisenhart. The name he used in the movies, Eric Lenscher, is an alias that he'll pick up later on in the comics. But I don't want to get too ahead of myself right now, um, and I think that's enough background for the moment, so let's get into the series. Magneto was born Max Eisenhart in about 1926. Um, I came up with that date just based on the timeline of events from this series. The story starts when he's nine years old and the effects of the Nazi regime are starting to impact Max and his family, who are German Jews. In 1933, the Nazis had taken power in Germany. They immediately start eliminating any political threats. Part of this process involved the creation of the first concentration camp, Dachau, shortly after taking power. It is located near the city of Munich and was used to imprison political dissidents, including communists, socialists, labor leaders, and other political opponents. As time goes on, though, other groups are sent there as well, including Jews, gay people, and Jehovah's Witnesses. Max and his family have lived normal lives as German citizens up until this point, um, doing work as jewelry makers. But in 1935, when he is nine years old, Max starts facing persecution firsthand for being Jewish. At school, Max starts facing discrimination from his fellow students and his teachers. Um, when they talk about him, his teachers use anti-Semitic tropes to taunt Max. They call him small, weak, vicious, and cunning. One day, the school holds some physical competitions, and Max wins a javelin throwing competition and earns a medal. His teachers, though, are pissed that a Jewish boy beat out all of the other students. Max, though, is just proud of what he accomplished. Max also has a crush on a girl. She is named Magda, and she's a Roma girl who works with her mother taking care of the school grounds. The Roma are another ethnic group targeted in Nazi Germany. They have lived in Europe since at least the 9th century CE, and their origins are believed to lie in India, although it's a really diverse group with different traditions in different areas of Europe. They do, though, share a common language, which makes them distinct from other Europeans. As a result, historically they have been persecuted throughout the centuries in Europe, much in the same way Jews were. When one of his classmates sees Max trying to get Magda's attention, he says, Trash loves trash. I wanted to just stab the page when I got to that. Max is angry, and we can assume that this sort of hate has been ramping up for him during the past couple of years. After school, though, Max finds Magda and gives her a necklace that he has made at home for her. It's really sweet because we see him working on the necklace at home, and he really, really likes Magda, and he's super excited to give it to her. But after that, Max is on his way home, and he runs across a Nazi rally, and he sees that his uncle, Eric, has been badly beaten and forced to wear a sign that says, 
I have shamed a German woman for being a Jewish man in a relationship with a non-Jewish German woman. This happens because at the same rally, the Nuremberg laws are introduced. These laws strip Jewish Germans of their citizenship, and the Nazis determine Jewish status by genealogy. Anyone with three or more Jewish grandparents is deemed Jewish and no longer legal German citizens. From that point on, they are known as subjects of the state, which sets the stage for things going forward because the state can do whatever they want to these subjects. And those with one or two Jewish grandparents weren't safe either. They were considered mixed race and also faced persecution and discrimination. A second law that's part of the Nuremberg Laws was the Law for the Protection of German Blood and German Honor. This forbade marriage or sexual relationships between Jews and non-Jewish Germans. And this is why Max's uncle was targeted by the Nazi mob. He had some sort of relationship with a non-Jewish woman, and he was attacked for it at this rally. This law also applied to other groups, including Roma, black individuals, and anyone with a hereditary illness or disease. These were all people that the Nazis saw as undesirable. And the Nazis actually set up a system that required approval for any new marriages to see that this new law was followed. So Max helps his badly injured uncle get home, and the family bandages him up. Max's father, Jacob, is truly shocked at what has happened. He tells Max about how he fought for Germany in World War I, earning medals and honors from the government, and he said that he's always been a German, and he's really proud of that, and he's proud of his service. Eric, though, who's recovering on the couch, tells the family that they should leave Germany, and that it's only going to get worse. Jacob doesn't want to consider that option. It would mean giving up on his home, the life he's built, and the country that he fought for. Max's sister Ruthie then reveals that she goes by the name Greta to her German employers and makes up Christmas plans when they ask so that she can pass as a non-Jewish woman. The family ends up leaving the matter unsettled and just tries to move on, hoping for the best. And... This was the real experience of German Jews across the country as the new laws and restrictions are put in place. And it's so hard because I can sympathize with Jacob and Eric. For Jacob, it means giving everything up that he loves, but Eric is already dealing with being targeted and brutally attacked. So it's just this impossible situation. Then the next day at school, Max's teachers bring him in front of all of the other students. They take away his medal that he earned in the javelin throwing competition and accuse him of cheating because basically they can't let a Jewish boy beat out all the German boys. So they hold a new competition, giving Max a heavier javelin to throw. He's furious and sad and just everything you would be in that situation. And then he also sees Magda watching the whole thing go down. And so those two things motivate him enough that he throws the heavier javelin just as far. He's super proud of himself, and he sees Magda that she shows him. Um, she's wearing the necklace he made, and, you know, he feels like he has this moment of accomplishment and overcoming all of this discrimination, but the joy is very short-lived. For his performance, he's expelled from the school immediately. Then, as he's leaving, his former classmates attack him and beat him up, hitting him with their own medals in the head and face, and it's terrible. So life has just changed so drastically and suddenly for Max, who has just lived a normal life up until this point. In 1936, things have gotten worse for the family. Jacob has lost his job. 
So he takes Max with him to go meet with this government worker that he knew from World War I to try and get his job back. He had saved the man's life during the war, so he feels like he can go to him to ask this favor. That year, Berlin is hosting the Olympics, and so many of the anti-Jewish signs are removed from public places so that the Nazis can hide it from the rest of the world. Jacob takes this as a sign that things are getting better, but it's really just a propaganda campaign for the Nazi regime. Max is actually there to see Jesse Owens, the black American athlete, win four gold medals in his track competitions, but then he also overhears Germans' anger at a black man beating their Aryan athletes. However, while all this is going on, Jacob has been waiting all day to try and meet with his old friend, and he never gets to meet with him. He and Max are heading out of the stadium to go home. Jacob's trying to stay optimistic, but then he spots the man, like, across the way and runs over to him to say, hey, remember me? But then a group of SS officers come up and stop Jacob. He tries to walk away, like, just ignore them, but they chase him and knock him to the ground, punching him, kicking him, and then they, they carry him off. Max tried to help his father, but he's pushed to the ground and left in the street and just sees Jacob taken away into this building by the SS. Max doesn't have a choice, he doesn't have anywhere to go. Um, he has to wait outside alone and just hoping that his father is going to come back. Eventually, Jacob is brought out and these guards throw him down a flight of concrete stairs. His war buddy follows and says that they're even because the SS could have killed him, but he didn't let them. And so he leaves, turning his back on Jacob, who is obviously in pain on the steps. Even with this whole experience, Jacob tries to stay positive, saying that he's just going to come back in a couple of months and ask for help then. He really just wants and needs to believe that his country hasn't turned its back on him for good. Meanwhile, Max's crush Magda has been taken with her mother to the Marzon detention camp in Berlin. This camp was established as a way to remove and isolate the Roma people, who, again, the Nazis considered undesirable. The camp was set up in 1936, and Romani people were forced to move there right before the Olympics started. It's unclear if Max knew Magda was sent to the camp, but I'm sure he would have heard about the event and figured out where she was. Life in the Marzon camp was really harsh. Um, the Roma lived in cramped conditions with inadequate food and sanitation, uh, lack of water, and were also exposed to the elements in the cold weather. As time went on, many of them were conscripted into forced labor, and they were also constantly monitored, and their passports were stamped with a Z to mark them as Roma. And it's just really important to remember that many distinct groups suffered at the hands of the Nazis. From there, the story moves forward to 1938, and Max and his family are living in Nuremberg. I'm guessing that prior to this, they lived in Berlin. It's not specifically stated, but given Magda's removal to Marzon, um, which the removal of Roma started with those living in Berlin at first. So my guess is they were living in Berlin, and maybe the family thought that moving away from the capital would give them some reprieve from the persecutions going on. However, the move didn't help, and their situation has not improved. Uh, it's actually gotten worse. The family doesn't have enough money for food, and Max is forced to dig through trash for just anything that will help them survive. One day, as he's doing that, he finds a coin, and then these boys, some German boys, see and mock him for what he's been reduced to, like as if there's any other way for him to survive. And 
I think they were boys he went to school with because they know his name. And one of them tosses another coin on the ground to humiliate him and watch him like pick it up. And so when the boy taunts Max further for thinking about grabbing the coin, Max attacks the boy. Max is able to grab the coin and run away before the other boys can react, and he escapes. But when another man saw the whole thing and laughed at the German boys for what happened, Max turns around to see them beat the man to the ground. Max goes to protect the man, but he's then beaten up himself. When he gets home, he lies to his family and tells them that he just fell. He doesn't want to tell them what really happened and have them feel bad. Um, They know that he's lying, but he won't admit what happened right away. Eric, his uncle, again tells the family that things are just going to get worse and that they need to leave Germany. He suggests that they go to Poland, but Jacob again says no. He tells Max that he needs to stop getting in fights, keep his head down, and stay alive. That night, Max is lying awake and overhears his parents debating what they should do. They are just torn about the possibility of leaving, but then scared about what will happen if they stay. He just feels so bad for them. But while they're talking, Max goes to the window and he sees some German soldiers breaking down the doors of other people's homes. He runs to his parents' room and tells them that the family has to leave right away. They pack what they can in a hurry and they're able to sneak out of the house and through the city and they hide in a cemetery. From there, they can see the local synagogue go up in flames as they're hiding in the graveyard. This part of Max's story is based on the events of Kristallnacht, referred to as the Night of Broken Glass. This event was instigated by the Nazis, supposedly as retaliation for the assassination of a German embassy official who worked in Paris. So there's a young Polish Jew named Herschel Grinspan, who was 17 years old. He shot this official out of anger over the forced removal of thousands of Polish Jews who had been living in Germany. After their forced deportation, they were then stranded and had nowhere to go because then Poland refused them entry. So Herschel Grinspan, in just anger and frustration over what's happening, assassinates the German official. The Nazis then, in retribution, encouraged soldiers and citizens to take part in two nights of intense violence against Jews living in Germany. From November 9th to 10th of 1938, hundreds of synagogues were attacked and burned, Jewish-owned businesses had their windows smashed out and their goods stolen, The writers of the comic add some details to this and note that at least 91 Jews were murdered those two nights and that up to 30,000 Jewish men were arrested and sent to concentration camps. Many of them died during the internment and others were released only if they were able to prove their plans to leave Germany permanently. The Nazis do not want Jews in the country. After all of this and all the violence and destruction, the Nazi government then turns around and poses a massive fine on German Jews, blaming them for the violence and destruction. And then they couldn't even get insurance money for their destroyed businesses and homes because that money was taken and given to the government. In addition, as if things haven't been bad enough, the Nazis start an Aryanization policy that transferred ownership of Jewish businesses to non-Jewish Germans. So even if you still had your business and you had enough money to keep it going, they took it away and gave it to somebody else. Kristallnacht was a serious escalation of the persecution of Jews in Germany. Um, It became clear that unlike Jacob thought, things were not going to go back to normal, is not going to get better. And from that point on, the Nazi terrorization against Jews grew more and more overt and violent. By the following year, 1939, Max and his family fled to Poland, where they had extended family that they wanted to stay with. They thought they would be safe there, get away from Germany and everything that's going on. 
When they get there, the only space left for them to stay in was the barn. And they're like, how can this get any worse? Like, they've fallen so far from their normal middle-class life. Shortly after their arrival, however, Germany invaded Poland. So after all of this and everything that they've gone through, they still have not escaped. The Nazis not only took over the country, but the writers of the comic tell us that they sent in soldiers known as the Einsatzgruppen. This group was sent in after the army to clear out any potential threats. What that meant, however, was that they tracked down any Jews that they could find in the country and murdered them. In just two months after the invasion of Poland, the Einsatzgruppen had murdered 16,000 Jews and Poles. By the end of the war, they had murdered 1.3 million Jews as the German army spread throughout Europe. Max and his family are caught up in an Einsatzgruppen attack, and they manage to barely escape by fleeing into the forest. They then decide to make their way to Warsaw, where Jacob believes that they will be safe living among the thousands of Jews who are already in the city. I'm going to leave Magneto's story there for today. Um, There's a lot more to cover, but given the nature of the subject, I don't want to put too much in one episode. Again, I have to highlight the writer's efforts to make this comic as historically accurate as they could. The events that Magneto faces as a young boy really do mirror the experience of millions of people in Nazi Germany. I do highly recommend reading the entirety of the series if you have a chance to. Um, it's on Marvel Unlimited, and um, yeah, it's it's definitely worth a read. I also made a, a short list of other books that give more history to these events, um, but it's reading that I've done to learn more about this subject, so I just wanted to share it. First is Mouse by Art Spiegelman. This is a graphic novel detailing the author's father's experience during the Holocaust and the author's own efforts to try and understand what his father went through. And that's Mouse, M-A-U-S. If you want to read like an actual history book, I recommend Auschwitz by Lawrence Reese, R-E-E-S. And I have to include Night by Ellie Wiesel. He's a Holocaust survivor and the story is autobiographical. So you get like kind of that firsthand, what is it like to be there um, type of story. So definitely check those out um, if you want to read kind of some more background information. Um, And there's plenty other really good books. Those were just three that I could come up with off the top of my head. Thank you for listening to this episode. I know it's a very history-heavy episode and the subject matter is terrible, um, but I didn't feel like it was right to avoid any of it. And this is, of course, a comic podcast, but like Chris Claremont said, understanding this part of history is essential to understanding Magneto himself. And Magneto is a pillar of the X-Men universe, so I think it's appropriate that we spend time on not only his fictional life, but the real events that inspired it. Because I think that's what makes the X-Men and their stories so important, is how they relate to, to real life. So I hope you found the information useful. I'm going to follow the same pattern in the next episode as we follow Magneto through the remaining years of the war. Thank you again for listening, and I will be back in two weeks with the next part of Magneto's life. Bye.